0: My name is Irina Willis and I'm a member of mission committee and an elder on the session and I'm so humbled to read the scripture this morning and worship with all of you. Our scripture reading for today is a portion of the passage we have been asking you to pray for us as we travel back and forth to Poland. Psalm thirty-one, nineteen through 21. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and work for those who take refuge in you and the side of the children of mankind. And the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in the besieged city. All flesh is grass, and it's beauty like a flower of the field. Amen. The grass weather, the the word of our God, forever.
1: Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you today as your people We are surrounded, O Lord, in our world by abundant distractions, and we need your truth to bring us in. We need your light to illumine our lives, and we need, O Lord, amidst the changing words of our generation to speak your eternal word that does not change. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock. And our Redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Over the years, I have discovered that there are lots of different types of mission trips. There are medical mission trips, there are building mission trips, there are educational mission trips, there are just exploratory mission trips, there are all kinds of mission trips. But, but in reality, they all seem to kind of fall into two broad categories. One is the kind of mission trip where you go and you do something and you report back to your congregation, hey, this is what we did. This is what we were able to accomplish. And this is what's really exciting about our ministry over there. And then the other side of the equation is a little bit more sober, a little bit more somber at times. And that's the kind of mission trip where you go and you say, hey, beloved church, this is what we need to know. This is what we need to understand. This is what you need to hear from us as eyewitnesses to what God is doing and how he is calling us to serve in a particular part of the world in a particular set of circumstances. So where to begin? Gosh, I mean, as Irina and uh, and Aaron can tell you, we just got back a little over a week ago. I can tell you that right now, I'm in a lot better shape to give this report than I was a week ago. Last week, when I was talking to the traditional service, my my bloodstream was about 90% coffee and about 10% blood. Uh, I was I was just barely outrunning jet lag. And, uh, and so that report, if you happen to watch it online or anything like that, that was pretty raw. Um, not, it wasn't like raw, raw, like bad or anything like that, but it was, it was a little rough and I, 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 I might've put a preposition at the end of the sentence and stuff like that. But I feel like I've been able to polish it up today and especially as we've talked and, and as, we have, as we've discussed what we feel like God has put on our hearts for you to hear, I think that it is really time for us to share what he is doing through our ministry in Eastern Europe, and for us especially to break down that passage, Psalm 31, that we've been asking you all to pray for us for several weeks. In in leading up to this trip, we asked you to pray Psalm 31 for us time and time again. And you'll notice in verse 21, there's that, that one line about being besieged. Well, that is truly what we have encountered over the last few weeks as we have not only communicated with partners in Eastern Europe, but as we actually went to Poland and met not only Polish friends, but new Ukrainian friends as well. So this morning, I want to introduce you to our team and to our partners. And then I want to tell you four things that have really stuck with me because of this experience. And and these four things are, are just these simple things. Number one, that the crisis is real. Number two, that our mission is important. Number three, that this is just the beginning. And number four, that the Lord is with us and he is strong. The Lord is with us. And he is strong let me introduce you to our team you've already met one of them Arena Villastrigo this morning our scriptural reader let's hear for arena again <laughs> you know she is uh, she is one of those people that you would want to travel anywhere in the world with because she has friends I think in just about every country and she is an amazing amazing uh, sister in Christ but also an amazing person to travel with let me also introduce you to Aaron Villastrigo who is yes Aaron please stand please stand you haven't met him yet but this is, uh, this was our mission team. They're right here with us. And it is so nice to have, uh, to be able to travel with them and to be able to share this experience. While we were there, we also met friends from the Outreach Foundation. The Outreach Foundation is a venerable old Presbyterian mission foundation founded 40 years ago by a group of Presbyterian ministers, including, you guessed it, our own late Pastor Emeritus, Louis Abendon. Is there any organization that he did not have a hand in starting? <laughs> But he was there at the very beginning, and the Outreach Foundation is a group that has ministries worldwide and through whom we are now connected through our Eastern European ministry. We were also joined by John Kaiser. I don't know how many of you all know John Kaiser, but John was an eco-military chaplain serving in Frankfurt, Germany, who was very active in this church while he was, in Fort, while he was at Fort Sam. And he met us while we were over there in Poland. Now while we were in Poland we also met up with our mission partners from the Warsaw College of Theology and Social Sciences CTSS is our anchor mission partner in Warsaw and while we were there we were discussing their projects to develop Polish and international students for pastoral leadership this is the president uh, on the uh, on on the far uh, on I guess would it would be your right, uh, Dr. Peter Novak, who is the rector or the president of CTSS. And then finally, our mission partners, the Tola Institute, Dr. Dariusz and Brooke Brishko, who have a Reformed Study Center, that is a Presbyterian and Reformed Study Center in Warsaw, Poland, for the propagation and the study of the gospel and for the gospel ministry and reformed theology. And of course, I want to thank you all the congregation of First Presbyterian Church for being our partners throughout this entire mission. You know, one of the great things that we got to do is deliver those prayer cards that you all filled out, that you all wrote on just about two or three weeks ago. Do you remember doing that? Uh, we took a stack of literally about 500 prayer cards to Poland. Those are still being distributed. And we're so glad to be able to be able to share with the people there the fact that there are There are American Christians who are in partnership with them who are praying with them even now. So having laid out some of those preliminaries about our trip to Poland, let me begin with the first of those four points that I wanted to bring up. Number one, that the crisis is real. You'll remember the words of Psalm 31 where it says, I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I I have become like a broken vessel. After dinner on our first night in Poland, we walked from our hotel to the main Warsaw train station. You saw it in the video. The station has been one of the, one of the key gathering points for refugees flowing into the country. The Polish government and the Polish people have really done a great job of receiving about two million refu- refugees and organizing the services to meet them. That station is full of refugees, women and children, elderly men, Dogs, rows and rows of air mattresses and sleeping bags like line the walls of the upper concourse of that train station. You saw that in the video. While the main level is covered with medical kiosks and language volunteers and food services and a pretty strong police presence. Now, you may have noticed in the video that at one point as we were were actually leaving the train station, Irina had a powerful... Beautiful intervention with a young Ukrainian mom who was studying. Who was traveling with two sick children. As we were leaving the train station, Arena heard this young woman, this young mom, talking on the phone. She was desperate. She was frustrated, and she was exhausted. Aaron looked at the kids and he examined them, and she, he saw that they were dehydrated. But as Arena talked to this mom, she realized that she was just in shock. She was paralyzed. She was frozen in her trauma. And the tragedy was that she was only about 20 yards from medical help, from language help, from housing help, from transportation help. She was, she was as far as the booth is from me from all the help she needed and yet she was so overwhelmed by her situation that she couldn't cross the gap and that's when arena stepped in to help her bridge that gap that place or that barrier of paralysis that she could not get to on her own she just couldn't get there by herself she was emotionally shut down and that That sort of defines so much of the refugee experience in Poland right now with so many of the Ukrainians they met, that we met, excuse me, that are there. They are there, but they can't cross that divide. They can't cross that gap between their need and the help that is being offered. Can you imagine being in that place where you you can't even reach out to the hand that's reaching out to you? And so we were able to connect them with the Polish aid workers that they needed to meet, and they were wonderful. They were helpful. So that was just one of the many refugees that we met over the course of our stay in, in Poland, in Warsaw. Another that we met is Lena Beleza- Vialewska. Lena and her husband Oleg run a Christian camp in Kiev. They evacuated through Slovenia and came to Warsaw with 18 members of their staff. But then after getting their their staff across the border, Oleg went back to help in Ukraine. Now their camp is a Christian skills and readiness camp. You know, think about a, a summer camp here, you learn archery and canoeing and, and crafts and all those sorts of things. Well, at this camp, it's more like they learn like computer skills and they learn language skills. They learn how to speak English. They le- might learn music or they might learn some carpentry skills or things like that. They learn trade skills. And the whole time they're learning those skills, it's like another camp. They're, they're learning about the gospel. Their counselors are sharing the love of Jesus Christ with them, teaching them the Bible. And so they've got this wonderful program that just that continues to minister to all these people there. But one of the things that Lena told me was this. She said, in our schools and in our camps, we are teaching 21st century skills. But it never, it never included how to successfully be a refugee. How to successfully run for your life. Two of her staff, Anna and Lena, said that everyone who comes to Warsaw, who gets out of Ukraine, is completely traumatized. For those who have crossed what she called the war line, who've gotten out of the war zone, even for us, our reality has changed. The wounds that these refugees suffer are deep. In Psalm 31, verse 1, David wrote, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. You know, of all the emotions people are feeling, the one that people do not expect to hear about is the shame. Lena talked about the shame of having to flee, the humiliation of being run out of your own country to become a refugee, to become a beggar for survival. On her Facebook page, in her Ukrainian refugee diary, Lena wrote this, Only 21 days ago, we were like you, naive in our belief that the war would not start, that it was merely impossible in our times. Many, like Anna, our translator at the seminary, are suffering a lot of shame. Some are suffering the shame of running, others are suffering it in the form of survivor's guilt as they think about their friends and their family, their husbands, their brothers, their sisters, their mothers and children who are still left in Ukraine. While we were at the seminary, I also had an opportunity to talk with some of the women who were staying there, and it was interesting because there was only one man among the refugees there. He was a father. He was allowed to leave because he had three children, three children, I believe, maybe four, I can't remember exactly, but he, I know he had at least three children, and, and if you have three or more children, you may leave within certain ages, but if you have two or fewer, then, then you have to stay. You're expected to stay. So it was only one dad in this whole group of women and children. But while we were there, we delivered those prayer cards, and we had an interview, to, uh, had an opportunity to interview five of the women who were there. We also met one shell-shocked, traumatized boy from Dunbass, whose home was caught in the crossfire between the Ukrainians and the Russians. First, he was traumatized by Ukrainian bombs. And then he was traumatized by Russian bombs. One woman, Olga, revealed that before she was forced to escape Ukraine, she was scheduled for kidney surgery. She hadn't told anybody since she got to Poland. One young woman from Odessa described the trauma that she and others felt. The sounds, they said, will never be the same. You don't trust people. Suddenly you're afraid of everyone. They said, no one knows what day it is. We just know it's the 26th day of the war. They said, they took our lives, our time, and we are not ourselves anymore. Beloved, I tell you all this so that you will know, even after endless news cycles and the the beginning and eventual numbing that comes from that, I tell you this so that you will remember that this crisis is real. This crisis is real. But how does this crisis change our mission? How does it change our original mission and affect the mission of our partners? We actually began our mission in Poland about three years ago to encourage not only the development, but the survival of Protestant Bible-teaching churches in that predominantly, nominally Roman Catholic country. You know, way back in 1555, John Calvin wrote to a Polish nobleman, and he said, at the present moment, Poland deservedly occupies my thoughts with a very special anxiety. Like so many countries in Europe, Christianity has largely been cultural, but not personal. What that means is that everybody kind of grows up in Christianity, but they don't know the love, they don't know the saving power, they don't know the affection or the forgiveness of Jesus Christ for themselves personally. Only, get this, only 0.4% of the population have ever read and studied the Bible for themselves. And so up to this point, our mission has largely been to develop and educate leaders for the Polish church and for other groups that are in Poland. But since the beginning of the war, that mission has changed a little bit. Everyone, including our partners, are now in the refugee business. CTSS is currently taking care of 33 refugees, housing them in their dorms and in converted classrooms. Again, this was not a refugee facility. But they have taken them in, and they've given them their space, and they've, they've bought them supplies. Most of the refugees come with only the clothes on their backs or what they can get in one roller suitcase. So in addition to food and beds and medicine and a roof over their heads, our friends, our partners at CTSS are providing long-term help. They're helping them obtain identification and government immigration documents. They're helping them find jobs and places to live, places for the kids to go to school. Think about a refugee version of our own KRL downstairs where they're providing long-term help. Tolalege, our other mission partner, is collecting money and shipping all kinds of humanitarian supplies to Kiev through a church. Lots of polls, even. Not just the organizations, but lots of poles. Private citizens are keeping refugees in their homes. The members of Siena Church, that, that church that you saw at the end of the video, a, a seminary partner church, many of those members of that church are keeping refugees in their homes. Right now, there are 80 refugees presently living with members of Siena Church. They're mobilizing about 100 volunteers, and as the weeks go by, they have up to this point helped about 1,000 people. And so because of the war, the context, the environment of Christian mission in Eastern Europe has tra- changed dramatically. The context has changed, but the mission remains. And it is now more important than ever. I mentioned that one of our team members was the Reverend John Kaiser. He's a retired U.S. Army chaplain and a minister of our denomination, serving the U.S. Army in Germany in a civilian capacity. And having John with us was a real blessing because it really helped me to shape my thinking. Because John gave me a new lens through which to understand our mission to Poland. As an army and the chaplain, as a combat chaplain, his job has been to keep people from getting lost in the tragedy and violence of war. That's the role of a combat chaplain, to keep people from getting lost in the tragedy and violence of war. The crisis in Ukraine and now all over Europe is not just a humanitarian crisis or a political crisis or an economic crisis. It is a spiritual crisis. In addition to the physical aid needed to sustain people in the near term, the people of Eastern Europe are going to need spiritual aid to carry them in the long term. Because the wounds of this war are going to leave deep scars across Europe for decades. And the question before us is, how can we help generations of people from getting lost in the tragedy and violence of war and its consequences? Our mission in Poland has been to develop church leaders for kingdom growth. And now, because of this war, all European pastors are going to have to become combat chaplains. And God has positioned us to help the very church leaders who will become combat chaplains in their countries and in their communities, to help people from getting lost and the tragedy and violence of the war and its consequences. Lena recounted that my country is being deliberately destroyed. My people are being mercilessly killed. The world is watching and applauding the courage, but it doesn't keep my men in Ukraine safe from the next barbarian bombing. It will not return the dead, heal the crippled, or undo the trauma. But then she said this, when something is so big and horrible and shocking our minds try to simplify what is happening to understand. And then after we've simplified the problem, then we try to simplify our responses. And we say, I'm so sorry. I'm praying for you. And the worst one, that everything happens for a reason. But the issues are far too complex for simple platitudes. And the sleepy church cannot continue business as usual. Not with, seeking, not with people seeking God. Platitudes and simple formulaic answers to hard questions will no longer suffice. And those platitudes cannot survive the onslaught of trauma caused by midnight bombings, maimed limbs, orphaned children, and starvation. What they need is evangelism. A deep theological evangelism that takes seriously the real-life, real-time, tragic life-and-death questions that they are facing. Questions about God's sovereignty in the face of unspeakable evil and restless hate. Questions about nuclear war and just war. Questions about economic relief and refugees. To paraphrase another Ukrainian, I've never needed God more but I don't know where he is. Poland needs leaders who will help that man to find God. The need for spiritual restoration and the proclamation of God's love and truth has never been higher. The challenge is to learn to speak the words of God's truth and hope and grace in a way that cuts through the noise of war. Our job is to declare with the psalmist, but I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. In the words of one of my mentors, Dr. John Leith, in his book, The Reformed Imperative, Dr. Leith wrote this, the task of the christian witness is to help those who believe to understand how god how jesus christ answers the deepest questions of their lives and makes sense of their experience that's the task of the christian witness to help those who believe to understand how jesus christ answers the deepest questions of their lives and makes sense of their experience that's our burden right now to speak God's truth and to train leaders in Eastern Europe, to speak God's truth with power, to speak it with grace, and to help people to make sense of a senseless experience. Whatever the duration of hostilities, this war is going to have a ground-shaking effect on Europe. It's going to have a ground-shaking effect on the rest of the world. This is just the beginning. And one thing that is sad about this week is that all week, the summary headlines that I've seen have been that Will Smith slapped Chris Rock at the Oscars. Oh, and by the way, hundreds continue to die every day in Ukraine. Again, in 1555, John Calvin said, Poland occupies my thoughts with a very special anxiety. And that is true for me today, too. Eastern Europe occupies our thoughts. Six months ago, we didn't know what would be happening in Eastern Europe. When we planned this trip, we had no idea what would be going on there, but the Lord knew. He knew exactly what would be happening. This used to be kind of a a niche mission within our portfolio, but now we have front row seats to one of the most important and tragic mission fields of our day. Our partners, our brothers and sisters in Christ, need to know that we are not just here to stand with them when it's easy, but that we will stand with them even when it gets hard. Eastern Europe has been thrust to the center of the world's attention. And while the Lord has the world's attention, this is an opportunity for the church to shine. As their brothers and sisters, as well as their partners in the gospel, we have a unique and open door to steward the blessings that God has given us. Even though this war is taking place half a world away, our relationships put us closer to this situation than most other churches. We have deep connections, and those connections give us a responsibility Our responsibility is to show up when difficult times exist and in difficult places. One of the most important things that we can do for people in this tragedy or in any time of tragedy or crisis is to show up. So often, whenever you find somebody in a difficult situation, they won't remember what you said, but they will remember that you were there. The gospel is about a God who showed up. The God who showed up in the midst of our tragedy, the tragedy of sin, the tragedy of violence, the tragedy of oppression, the tragedy of war, the tragedy of grief. This gospel is about a God who became flesh and endured every heartbreak and challenge we face, even death. We believe in a God who showed up for his people. And that's why we can say, as Psalm 31 says, be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. When the Bible says that someone is waiting for God, that is an expression of trust and expectation. Waiting in the Bible is not just about passing time. Waiting is an expression of faith. It means that because I believe that God is real, We are expecting God to show up. And because I believe that God is real, we are expecting God to do amazing things. That's what the Ukrainian people are doing. They are waiting for God. Lena's story, like so many others, is heartbreaking. But her journey out of Ukraine has also been a story of persevering faith. It's a story about waiting for the Lord. At one point she said, the Lord is with us and he is strong. The men and the men, uh, the men and the women that we met are expecting God to show up and they are expecting him to do amazing things. Blessed be the Lord for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. Beloved, we definitely felt your prayers. And now that we are back, I ask that you please keep praying for our mission partners, for the refugees we met, for peace in Ukraine, for healing, for restoration, and that the good news of God's grace in Jesus Christ would, be, would just saturate Eastern Europe. The Lord is with them and he is strong. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, we come to you today because we need your presence. We need your truth, we need your love and we need to know that indeed you are real, that you will show up and that you, our God, will do amazing things. Even in difficult times and in difficult places. We pray these things in the name of your son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Beloved, we come to this table today. Because this table reminds us that our God is the God who shows up. Who shows up in our darkest moments, who shows up in our most bitter conflicts, who shows up when all other hope seems lost and it seems like we've got nowhere else to turn. That's when our God shows up. This is a reminder that we can wait expectantly for the Lord, even when we feel besieged on every side. It was at this table that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ showed and explained the depth of his love for us and that he said that tomorrow I'm going to be giving my body as proof of my love for you. My blood will be shed and you will see how far your Father is willing to go to prove his affection for you. We come to this table because it reminds us that even though Jesus Christ gave his life in place of ours, that God also raised him from the dead and that he has the power to make a difference, not only in the life of Jesus Christ, but in, the, in our lives, both now and forever, that he can hold us not only in this life, but even beyond death. We come to this table just to remember that our God cared enough to become one of us, to get down here in the mud and the blood and the mess and the stress of our lives, to show up so that we would know that he understands us and we can trust him. So beloved, we come to this table because this is the joyful feast of the people of God. Scripture says that they will come from west and east from north and south to sit at table in the kingdom by his holy spirit we are joined with believers all over the world not only here in the west but as far as the sun rises and sets as far as eastern europe and beyond to uganda to the dominican republic to spain all those other places that we will visit where we will show up to be in fellowship with our brothers and sisters in christ we are here because by his Holy Spirit, he unites us around his table. We are here because his son has bid us to come to this table, not because we must, but because we may. We're not here. We don't come to this table because we are worthy. We come because we're invited, and we are invited because he loves us. And the proof of God's amazing love is this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we come to this table, this table that has been prepared for all those who trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who walk with him as their disciple, who've been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This table is for you. And so we come to this table in remembrance of him, in remembrance of the God who showed up for us. Would you pray with me? Holy and righteous God, we are gathered around this table today because we can. We're gathered around this table today because we do not have to hide from bombs, because we do not have to run from police, because we do not have to hide in the shadows, but because we are free to openly gather and glorify your name. But Lord, we know that through the generations, you have called your people together in spite of the danger, in spite of the risk, and you have shown them your truth and your power. Lord, when everything, when everything seemed so dark, you declared life, you declared grace, and you gave us reason to hope. Lord, through the death and resurrection of your son, you have proven that you not only love us, but that you have the power to make a difference in our lives now and forever. So Lord, set aside now this bread and this cup as extraordinary signs, as extraordinary reminders of what Jesus Christ did for us. And Lord, gather us at your table so that we will feel not only communion with your son, through your Holy Spirit, but so that we will feel communion with brothers and sisters who are hiding, who are running, who are afraid for their very lives, and yet declare that the Lord is with us and he is strong. Lord, we thank you for these gifts, and we ask your blessing now as we receive them. In Jesus' name, amen.